You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Lars is actually on assignment on this Wednesday, November 29th. A crisp, cool, very clear and sunny day, but it is certainly chilly. Sitting in for Lars is Kerry Clark. Most of you are very, very familiar with his work over the many, many years covering Alabama football, basketball, baseball, softball, the, all of it. And um, good friend. I've known him for 40 years. Hello, Kerry Clark. How are things with you? Things are good. We've got two former Alabama Broadcasters of the Year on the show today. That's Wow, we should have changed the title just for one day. <laughs> just kidding. Special guest starring Gary yeah. Clark. I, I like uh, this guest starring role, man. There's there's yeah. a lot to be said for a veteran pinch hitter. Uh, absolutely. You're the rusty stob of radio. Correct. Do you remember him? I do. I met. <laughs> yeah, and, and many others. He played for a lot of teams. But uh, only a few people like you and I are going to remember Rusty Staub and start a show with him. Uh, we got many directions. Uh, a lot of food on our lunch plate here on this Wednesday. Um, I'm going to start with Alabama basketball. Kerry, I don't know. I'm throwing you under the bus here. I don't know if you went last night or not. Did I did. you see the Clemson loss? I uh, was there in person, sir. Brian Passink will be along. Of course, he was literally courtside uh, along with Kerry Clark. Uh, and we'll talk in depth with him about it at 12.15. But uh, just your overall thoughts. And um, I'll tell you a quick story. I was uh, meeting with uh, president of the council, Kip Tyner, yesterday afternoon at the Hampton. And lo and behold, that's where Clemson was staying. And one of their coaches was walking out. I don't know if he was going for a run or something. It was right around 2 o'clock. And uh, he walked by and Kip said, say, hey, y'all go easy on us tonight. And he said, defense. Well, guess what? They played a lot more than Alabama did. And I don't think you have to be uh, a Phi Beta Kappa of basketball to figure it out. And this is going to be a season-long issue if Alabama doesn't get it corrected. But they've got to play defense, Gary. Yes, and Nate Oates has harped on it since day one. The players are now starting to harp on it. Mark Sears said after the game last night, after leading Alabama in scoring with 23 points, that we're going to keep working on this defense till we get it fixed no matter how long it takes. Well, you know, the last time I guessed it with you guys, we talked about that murderer's row that starts after the Arkansas State game next Monday, that murderer's row that includes Purdue, Creighton, and Arkansas, uh, it, it's staring us in the face right now. And if the defense doesn't dramatically improve, uh, they're liable to get swept in those three games. It, it could happen. Um, or go one I and two at best. Of, yeah. Um, those are all three uh, NCAA teams. Even even this early, I think I can tell you that. I think you're correct. But, but, uh, you know, I learned this from mainly from Wimp back when he took over for CM. And this is basketball 101. Sometimes you really can't control where the ball's going to go when you're shooting it. You're just off. You go 0 for 9 from three-point range, as Alabama did, to start the game. But the one consistent that you can always have is defense. And goodness knows, Kerry, we saw it from Wimp. But um, did this team come in with the transfers coming in? Was, was it too much offense and not enough defense? Or is it just something that literally can be corrected? I think it can be corrected, but I didn't think it would take this long. Uh, teams are seeing things on tape that they can exploit. And they're throwing the ball inside. They're blowing by people on the dribble drive. They're finding ways to get open and drain threes. And 
Uh, Alabama's got to get it fixed. Uh, the defense was actually pretty good in the first half last night. Yeah. Clemson got .92 per possession. But in the second half, they got 1.64. And as Oates uh, emphatically said in his postgame presser, uh, that's a uh, – you stretch that out through a game, that'd be one of the worst defensive performances in, uh, in basketball history, 1.64 possession. So – uh, if, if they could have replicated the first half defensive effort in the final 20 minutes, they would have gotten a win and not had their 19-game Coleman Coliseum winning streak snap. But they didn't, and they got outplayed on both ends in the second half, and they, they took that ill, and you hope they can learn from it. Uh, Oates also made the point during his press conference that a loss like that doesn't hurt you as much in basketball as, say, a Texas loss could in football because you play a lot more games, but you still got to get it fixed with this murderer's road coming up. And the thing is, they're going to play Arkansas State Monday night at home at 7 o'clock, who is coached by Nate Oates' disciple Brian Hodgson. So that one won't even be as easy as it may sound because he knows everything that, that Oates does. We'll talk with Brian at length about this, but just one more question because Jay Williams made a comment on television as the color analyst uh, about the crowd and perhaps a lack of enthusiasm. Did you notice that? For uh, for spurts, yeah. And 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 Oates acknowledged it, too. Uh, he said that uh, the, the Alabama team needs to give people something to cheer about. But I'd like to add one caveat, Matt. When you schedule a game at 8.30 p.m. on a work and school night, what kind of crowd do you really think you're going to have? They're really not thinking about that. They're thinking about the ACC-SEC challenge. and TV want, money is what they're they thinking about. TV. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. It's all about the Benjamins, brother. All right. Uh, here's one I don't think that I saw on my radar at all. Bobby Petrino's going back to Arkansas as the OC. Now, is this an effort and maybe behind the scenes? Arkansas told Sam Pittman, well, you know, it's kind of you do this or you. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, so, and, and that happens more often than people think regarding athletic directors instructing head coaches what they need to do to keep their and jobs. Didn't it, didn't it happen with Texas A&M, don't you think? Uh, I do. Is that, is that okay? Good, I do. Continue. I interrupted you. I, no, 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 but you're, what you're saying is true. Uh, I, I think that Sam Pittman was told the exact same thing that Jimbo Fisher was told regarding uh, upgrading the offense. And certainly uh, Bobby Petrino knows Fayetteville. He definitely knows the uh, motorcycle back roads, Chortle. <laughs> but uh, he knows Fayetteville, and he knows the state of Arkansas. He knows the culture, the community. What he doesn't know is the current group of players, but that's why we have spring practice. And they didn't make a bowl, so he won't be able to get them know. He won't be able to get to know them during a bowl practice. But he certainly will for the the three allowed weeks of spring training uh starting in late march early april and uh it, it's a really interesting move uh i thought bobby petrino's next move was going to be getting back to head coaching but instead it's uh i guess you'd call it a lateral move two middle of the road programs you go from being an oc at one to an oc at the other you go from oil money to Tyson and Walmart money. So, uh, you know, I, I, he's certainly a, an innovative play caller and a, a good quarterback developer. And I think it's a wonderful hire by Sam Pittman. But as you intimated, I think it was a required hire. Yeah. 
Uh, I do too. But uh, it's just very interesting when this guy continues to bounce around. And I too thought he might end up um, at, you know, maybe, uh, well, Houston's now open. I really thought I had coaching slot. But then I stopped. I, I gave pause for calls, Kerry. And that's what I was thinking. Did A&M's offense really look that much better this year? Of course, they had not not in days. Um, no, it was not. Not I think not what a lot of people, especially Aggie fans, expected. But of course, they were playing musical chairs at quarterback too. And I've never seen an offense that can be real, real, um, real effective when you're not only um, alternating quarterbacks, but quarterbacks with uh, different, totally different styles. So that's what happened with Texas A&M. And, and then the other, the huge story. Uh, throughout this week is what's going to happen Friday and then again on Saturday with these conference championship games. And we're going to get into that in great detail a little later in the show. But right now, let's take our first break of the show. When we come back, we will be joined by Brian Passink, the long-term well, Alabama player um, at Tuscaloosa. And um, he is the color analyst along with Chris Stewart for the University of Alabama Network, Crimson Tide Sports Network. And we'll pick it up with Brian in just a minute. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high today, 57. Mostly fair tonight, below 32. Tomorrow, partly sunny during the day. Rain moving in tomorrow night, the high 61. Friday, cloudy with occasional rain, the high 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 55 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed. And we welcome in Brian Passink, color analyst, former Alabama Crimson Tider himself, as we talk some Bama hoops. Hey, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I sure did. Uh, it was a great Thanksgiving and uh, got down to the beach. Uh, for the Emerald Coast Classic, it was my first time down there for the for the tournament. Obviously, I've been to the Destin area many times, uh, although not enough. I, it was beautiful. Uh, the tide looked good on Saturday, not so much on Friday. Uh, but it was a great trip and a great Thanksgiving. I hope you guys had a nice Thanksgiving as well. I did, and I've worked that tournament. It, it's it's a very interesting tournament to say the very least, just to, because of its surroundings at the beach and then. It's not the world's largest arena either, but um, it is cool, and I'm glad you had a great Thanksgiving. Before we get to basketball, I'm asking everybody this week where they were and what they did physically and mentally on 4th and 31. What was Brian <laughs> Passink doing? Well, Matt, I'm glad you asked, because uh, I like to think it was an interesting story. Uh, so I was multitasking during the game, during the Alabama-Oregon uh, basketball game, um, Due to uh, contractual obligations, I was uh, <laughs> I was working uh, that game, and and uh, obviously nowhere I'd rather be than calling an Alabama basketball game. Not ideal situation uh, when the football game, the Iron Bowl, kicks off at two thirty, and the basketball game tips off at three. Uh, but hey, that that's uh, how it goes sometimes. But so I had one eye on the computer screen in front of me that had the Iron Bowl on and one eye on the game 
but the, the basketball game ended uh, the beginning of the fourth quarter, around the beginning of the fourth quarter of the Iron Bowl. So I was able to focus in on the fourth quarter, and I was sitting at our broadcast position uh, for fourth and 31, and it was probably – and, and I w- didn't realize this because I was very, you know, I was obviously focused in on the on the uh, football game. But I looked up and it was right before the Ohio State Santa Clara championship game of the Emerald Coast Classic. It was about uh, they were about to introduce starting lineups for that. But I was still I was right by the Ohio State bench. Fourth and thirty one happens. Of course, I jump up and scream like a crazy person. Standing in front of me, like two feet in front of me, is Chris Holtman, the Ohio State head basketball coach who's getting ready for the championship game. And he looks at me, and I didn't know if he was going to punch me or just tell, you know, call a security guard. But he says, What happened? And I told him, I turned around my iPad and showed him the replay. And right before tip of the Ohio State game, he's like, "Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable!" And then that's started saying, "But that hurts us. That hurts. That hurts Ohio State." So we're having this fourth and thirty-one conversation, <laughs> me and the head basketball coach of Ohio State, right before their tip against Santa Clara. It was hilarious. Brian, hey, this is Kerry. Glad you could join us today. I wanted to ask you what exactly is going on or not going on with Alabama's basketball defense this season? Um, well, it's it's not great right now. Um, that is pretty obvious. Um, and I'm not sure that it's an easy fix, but I think it is fixable. Uh, this is a group that uh, is so good on the offensive end. I mean, and still, even after last night, is the number one rated offense in college basketball. Um, but the question you asked is a great one, and I think it's it's um, will determine how good this season will be, and that's what they do on the defensive end, down to number 88 in America in defense, uh, quite the disparity. Uh, so this team uh, right now uh, has not gelled on the defensive end. It has been a focus in practice. Uh, they have been good at times, inconsistent, uh, more so than anything, uh, and the, I think the the common denominator with the the games that Alabama has lost, and that was Ohio State and uh, Clemson last night, were good, tough, physical veteran teams that have been together a while and shot the lights out. Ohio State, um, I think they made their first five threes of the second half, and were some of them open? Yes. Some of them were well contested. To their credit, they made them. Clemson goes eight for 11 from three in the second half. They had a run, I think a 13 to three run when Alabama was up seven. Uh, the crowd was in the game and it felt like uh, this team was about to, to be in a really good position to win the game. They go on a 13, not three, 13 run in a minute and a half. Uh, the majority of that was the three ball. Uh, they're a good team. I knew it would be a tough game and Alabama would have to play well. Uh, missed too many makeable twos uh, within two or three feet. Um, I think the numbers were, um, gosh, uh, I heard them last night. They were not good. Well, well below 50% for at the rim twos. Uh, That's not good enough, especially when your opponent shoots 72% from the three point line 
in the second half. So I thought it was a combination of Clemson was really good. Um, I thought they would be a tough team. They played really well. They shot it really well. And Alabama is not near where they need to be on the defensive end uh, right now. And they're going to have to get that fixed. And it's going to have to happen quickly uh, because the schedule gets ridiculously tough here in the next couple of weeks with what's ahead. So I know that'll be the focus. I have great trust in Nate Oates and his coaches uh, to uh, get this area that they're struggling in going in the right direction. Our guest is Brian Passing, color analyst on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Is it as simple as getting the transfers and signees to buy into the defensive system when likely they came from programs where they were given the ball? Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know if that that's it necessarily. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's as simple as all right. You go back three years ago, um, Herb Jones is a leader on the team, SEC player of the year, best defensive player in college basketball. I think he's one of the top two or three best defensive players uh, on the planet right now in the NBA. Uh, That was a really, you had really good individual defenders on that team. Uh, Last year, you had Noah Clowney, who who wasn't Herb Jones, but kind of cut out of the same mold is Herb Jones on the defensive end. Um, Brandon Miller, an underrated defender, did a really good job on that end of the floor. Um, you had Charles Bediaco, who his his presence is missed as much as anybody who left the program um, because what this team desperately needed last night, and even though the three ball hurt them, rim protection is not where it needs to be. And you thought you were going to have Charles Bediaco. He was one of the surprises. Um, I think um, they anticipated him coming back, and he didn't. And that left a hole around the basket, and this this team has not been nearly as good at the rim defending uh, than, than um, this program has been in recent years. And then, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're scrambling around, you're trying to um, come off help because you don't have a rim protector, and maybe that opens things up on the perimeter. Um, but I think... I think they. I think the desire to get better is there. Um, I don't see a bunch of guys who are checking out the stat sheet and playing selfish basketball and are only concerned with offense. I see them wanting to get better on, on the in this area, and and I think they will. Uh, it's just going to be hard with the schedule that lies ahead um, to to see a, a huge improvement because the competition level is going to really ramp up with. Purdue, number one team in the country, Creighton, uh, one of the top, you know, handful of teams in the country that went on the road, and and then the, you know, you play the number one and number two team in the country. Uh, right now, Arizona is number two, so you go to Phoenix. So that's all coming up in the next few weeks. So it's not going to be easy, uh, but I know that that every one of these guys, at least the ones I've been around, they want to be better on the defensive end. It is a focus of the coaches' staff. It's also, I think, being received. Uh, as by these players is an area that, that they're not pushing back. They know they want to be good. They want to win. They don't want nights to happen like last night at home where you end a 19-game a, a home win streak because of the inability to get stops in the second half. So um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but I would be shocked if, if we're talking in the next month or two and, and we don't see drastic improvement on that end of the floor. 
Yeah, Brian, this is not really a defensive question. This is more of a personnel question. Out of the blue today, uh, true freshman wing Chris Parker goes on Twitter and writes, soon, just a one-word tweet, soon. Could that be an indication that the red shirt is coming off of him? Well, it could be, or it could be that he's about to eat lunch and he's He's saying he's going to eat soon. I mean, like, who knows what, what, what people are, are putting on Twitter. Valid so, point. I'm, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not going to, I've learned this having uh, teenagers. Um, I'm not reading anything into what they put on social media. So I have no idea. It could be, it could be, but I, I'm not. I'm not going to try to interpret Well, those of us that cover the team on a regular basis, uh, we call ourselves mediates. But uh, <laughs> we we kind of narrowed it down to either the red shirt's coming off or he's going to the portal. Something's about to happen. I really don't think he was talking about, man, I can't wait to get to City Cafe. Well, i tell you what, I'm, I, I would love to have some City Cafe. I may tweet that. Okay. I, I'm going to eat some City Cafe. No, I don't know. Friday is stuffed um, eggs day, just to let you know. Oh man, I love it! I love it. Um, no, I, I'm glad I didn't have social media when I was uh, after a loss, or I didn't play, or something. I might, I might have tried. I don't know what I would have said, but yeah, I don't know. Hey, uh, how are the, how is the transition uh, of the newer players coming in? Well, I think it's good. I, I think um, you know they're they're all those guys fit in really well uh, with a mindset, with their skill set. Um, you know, they, they, I mean, they seem to um, be well-liked and, and be about the right things in terms of wanting to be good and, and being unselfish. I mean, you know, I, I see what this team does on the offensive end. And and I think it's different than a couple years ago. And, and I'm not, you know, I don't throw anybody under the bus, but, you know, there were times that that I thought you know some guys wanted to 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 get their points and 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 put themselves in a position to to get to the next level and and I'm not saying that all these guys don't have aspirations to play at the next level if you're in Alabama and you're at a, a program that is that is trying to win championships where this program has won and and, and is trying to win those um you're you're attracting players that want to play professional basketball and play in the NBA. So yes, they have aspirations to do that, but I don't think it's come at, at the expense of of not making the extra pass and not being for your teammates. He, you know, that's one thing Nato said a week or so ago that he one of the things that has impressed him about this team is they're for each other, and I think that is so important and especially important in times like this where you have a, a couple of tough losses, losing two out of three, you know, games that you expect as a, a top 25 team that you would win at home uh, and then in a neutral site against Ohio State. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I, I don't think there's going to be anything other than guys going to work, watching film, uh, meeting with coaches, practicing hard, trying to get better in areas that they're struggling in. And it's why Nate Oates, the last two years, have play, has played the nation's number one strength of schedule. And maybe that this year, uh, with what the head, I wouldn't be surprised with how good the SEC is and with this non-conference schedule. If, 
if Alabama for the third straight year doesn't have the nation's toughest strength of schedule. Uh, so, you know, when you have a mindset like that, an attitude that, that wants to get better and is about the team, uh, then these these moments are learning opportunities and you get better from it, you grow from it, and hopefully a month or two from now or even a week from now, we'll see growth and improvement and that these lessons were learned and they've gotten better from it as a result. Brian, you already know this, but just to share it with the listeners, there were about a half dozen NBA scouts at the game last night. And one of them was former Alabama player Keith Askins, who's uh, with the Miami Heat and has been since he left uh, Tuscaloosa. And the other one was a guy that I didn't get his name from the Washington Wizards. And I was kind of trying to eavesdrop on their conversations, but I actually heard them talking about on, on some of those plays where Grant Nelson didn't finish at the rim that he needed to add some strength. And I know that everybody is hoping to get an extra year out of him because he technically can play here two years if he chooses to. I just wonder, is it realistic to hope for that, or is he just pretty much going to be a one-and-done here in Tuscaloosa? Well, I mean, I don't know the answer. Um, I I think I would be surprised. But I I think also how the rest of the year plays out will determine that. Uh, He has gotten stronger. Last night, he, he he wasn't able to finish like he normally does. Now, Clemson is is unique um, with the physicality, and and you know, they got a bunch of old, big, strong, two hundred forty, two hundred fifty pound post players, and um, in Alabama that affected them. But you know, with, with in the next couple of weeks, if if Grant Nelson is shooting seventy five and those shots and some of those looks that he got where he did not shoot a high percentage, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Those are, those are, those are shots he normally makes. And these are um, misses that Alabama normally connects on. And I think, yes, the, the size and physicality affected them. Um, but also I think they're very capable of playing through contact and playing physical teams uh, and playing in a game where, the officials let them play, and and that's fine. I, they let both teams play. I think in this case it was the Clemson's advantage because uh, of how physical they are. But, again, I think you learn from it. I think um, the next time you're faced with that, I think the result may be very different. At least um, that would be my hope and, and wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Brian, always appreciate your time. I know you'll be generous with it again next week. We appreciate that as well. Just a just a note, I did a couple of the Mountain Brook games last week, I guess, leading up to Thanksgiving. And I always love watching Sarah play. She just plays so hard. She has such a high basketball IQ. She did make one move down underneath the basket that I don't even think you could make in your prime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know she's a she's a much, much better ball handler than me. Uh and she's much more unselfish on the court, so uh, I, I enjoy it. It was great seeing you, and, and it's too. great for the girls to have a big-time voice and broadcaster like Matt Coulter on the call. So we, we oh. enjoyed having you. You're so kind. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> have a great remainder of the week, and roll tide against Georgia. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all having me. Roll tide. Speaking of the Bulldogs. 
Gary Clark and I are going to discuss that, among other topics, as we continue on this Wednesday edition of Big Noon Sports. I hear Lolly Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. Or Big Noon Sports coming up. It is Big Noon Sports. Kerry Clark is sitting in for Lars taking the day off. Matt Coulter along with Noah Haynes who's back at the controls tied 100.9. We just keep talking about it and only the games will sort things out. But the power rankings did come out. The playoff rankings did come out, and it figured exactly as I thought. There was just movement that uh, Ohio State dropped back to number six. And I'll start with this question that we can bat around for a minute. Even though Ohio State has no chance of winning the Big Ten, I think they're in a pretty good spot. I think they're a placeholder, and they are not going to be considered for the playoffs regardless of what happens Saturday and Friday. So even if, uh, you know... Placeholder. Um, yeah, but Washington and Oregon play. Is the loser of that game not going to drop below Ohio State? Well, below Ohio State, I don't know, but they will drop below four. The loser of that game will drop out of the top four. Yes, uh, no question. I just received better? a great text from my nephew who, who, who considers well, himself a predictionist. And uh, he says, here's my top six after Saturday. One Michigan, two Texas, three Alabama, four Oregon, five FSU, and six Georgia. Now, that's one man's speculation. And he's a, a confirmed Bammer uh, graduate of here. And, uh, but... It's what what he texted me is not out of the realm of possibility. And you know what I like about that, Matt? If it ends up being two Texas and three Alabama, Sugar Bowl. Um, oh, how interesting. Uh, if it ends up that way. Now, I could see Bama as the four and getting sent to Pasadena. I think that's probably more likely. But I like my nephew Joey's projections here because I'm all about a trip to Commander's Palace for a nice dinner. Uh, can Florida State drop with winning? Out of the top four, they can. Yes. Yep. I think I think that quarterback injury is going to haunt them, and uh, especially if they don't win impressively. But my gut says that Louisville is going to beat them straight up. And they won't be a factor. I don't think you're alone there either. Well, I think other people agree with that. But, look, I, I didn't think that Kentucky would beat them. So them being Louisville. 
So hopefully they'll use that as a, a way to get a mat on and exactly. just take it out on FSU. I mean, that's how I'd coach it if I was in charge. Um, what's the best scenario for Washington versus Oregon for Alabama? I think it's Oregon winning. But I really don't think it matters, Matt, because I think the loser's out regardless. Uh, Really? So Washington would not drop if Washington were to uh, lose, and both those teams would have one loss, then Washington would drop below Alabama? If Alabama beats Georgia. Yeah. It all is contingent on that. And I'm not sure why everybody's assuming that's going to happen. No, I... um, Georgia's favored for a reason. And it's now, does my gut say Alabama can and maybe will beat them? Yeah, but, I mean, I've got two degrees from here. You know, I'm not the guy to ask. Uh, what, what The realist in me says that Georgia could go out there and win that game by 10 points easily. Yeah. And everybody would just be saying, okay, Bama, enjoy the peach or cotton. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's all contingent on Alabama beating Georgia. If that doesn't happen, n- none of the rest of it matters to Bama Nation. No, it, it really doesn't. And I, I think, and we've been doing this for a couple of weeks now, <clears throat> ever since Alabama clinched the West, really. Yes. At, um, and, you know, we knew it was going to be Alabama-Georgia. At, um, I don't know if the Alabama fans and folks are looking past that and assuming that Alabama is going to beat Georgia. It sounds to me but like most the of them real, are. That's the real deep dive here. That's a big mistake because this is a really good Georgia team that's just improved as the season went on. You know, the, the Carson Beck I saw before the fourth quarter of the Auburn game was a very beatable quarterback. But right now, he looks like a stud. And that's not yeah. to say Milrow doesn't either, but – this is two of the better quarterbacks in the country that are going to be doing battle in the Mercedes Dome Saturday. If you were to choose a court, Lars drops this question on me, okay? Okay. Um, Just if now? If you were to select, no, he's been doing it for like a week or so. Okay. And I keep giving him, first I hesitated, then I gave him my real answer. All so right. up to you. If you had, if you could pick between starting quarterbacks here to lead your team, you know, the, the Clark Commanders, who would you pick between the SEC between, championship game no, quarterbacks? Between Mil- no, between yes, between Milrow and Beck. Milrow, because of his legs, because of his legs and his uncanny ability to make plays. I mean, does Carson Beck have a Daniel Moore painting coming? Mm, no. Not yet. <laughs> I'm not saying he won't. He could be having one could later. From this, but right now, Saturday. Uh, Daniel has already announced a painting that's simply called 4th and 31. And, and I see now where you can order T-shirts for 4th and 31. Have you seen that, Kerry? No, but I'll probably need to ride down to Academy after we're done. Yep. They're out. Yeah. Mine would and say available. Isaiah 431 if I could have it made. Wow. Great biblical reference. Cool. I, and I would expect that from Kerry Clark. So you hold your faith close, as I hope that I do as well. All right. Um, just got a note from a longtime Alabama reporter and broadcaster. Is uh, Mick Gillespie will join us at the top of the hour. Kerry and I will be right back after this break.
Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high today, 57. Mostly fair tonight, the low 32. Tomorrow, partly sunny during the day. Rain moving in tomorrow night, the high 61. Friday, cloudy with occasional rain, the high 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 56 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. It is indeed. Matt, Lars is off today. Kerry Clark in his stead. Kerry, we did our post-game show on 95.3, the Bear tied 100.9 and 12.30 WTBC Saturday afternoon, really evening. And I don't know if I just ask you the same question that I just posed to Brian Passink, and that's what described the moment that 4th and 31 occurred. What was Kerry Clark doing? I was in front of my TV uh, because I was writing a game story as the game progressed. You know, you, you write it as it goes on, and then you fill in quotations and stats later. And that's just a method of the madness. And I had pretty much given up because 4th and 31 is, as statistics show, 99.9% in favor of the defense. And then I remembered 2nd and 26. And then I remembered the uh, disaster in the pasture two years ago that Bryce Young led the comeback on. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try to keep an open mind on this play. Anything can happen. And my wife, Patty, had given up at the beginning of the fourth quarter. She could just tell in her heart that Auburn was going to win. And, you know, she didn't want to subject herself to that agony. So she was in the bedroom watching, you know, Christmas movies on Hallmark or something. <laughs> so I'm in there by myself. The dog's even in the bedroom with her. The dog is named Julio, by the way. I'm sure you can figure out that nomenclature. That. But a uh, little shizu. 14 years old, loves mom and dad. But anyway, so I'm sitting there by myself, and all of a sudden, my wife hears me screaming at the top of my lungs the word touchdown that the neighbors on both sides probably heard really loud three times in a row. She scurries into the room, and, and honestly, Matt, nearly the exact same thing happened two years ago on the Ja'Cory Brooks catch, to put it in overtime. She was in the bedroom then. She had given up the ghost, but and she heard me screaming, and she came and said, we really had a replication at Clark Manor of 2021, but I, you know, except that year it was more clapping, and this year it was more screaming. The word touchdown very loudly three times in a row and it was incredible i mean it was one of those moments that you'll just you'll never forget yeah um geez isn't that just what alabama auburn football games are all about 
there. Uh, their yeah, blowouts at Bryant-Denny. Yeah. Uh, the, the last close game at Bryant-Denny was the Blake Sims-Nick Marshall shootout in 2014. And there at the very end, that wasn't close. Uh, it ended up being a two-score game. But uh, then, of course, the cam back in 2010. But majority of the time, the Iron Bowls in Bryant-Denny are blowouts in favor of Alabama. And the majority of the time, the Iron Bowls and Jordan-Hare are classics that go down to the end of the fourth quarter. It's uh, It's weird. I made the statement about voodoo turning into doo doo and all that, and but the voodoo did keep the game close. Yeah, and because Alabama should have blown them out, if they don't throw that makeup call flag on Kendrick Law's touchdown to make it fourteen nothing, that game would have been a blowout, and there is no fourth and thirty one. Let's just be honest was, about it. That was, was a makeup call. Hold. Yeah, it was. It was a makeup call. It was. It was because they missed a face mask on a kickoff return, which they did miss. Big time. But so let's do And it's no coincidence, Matt, that that's the same crew that called last year's game in Knoxville. No coincidence. Do you think they're just mistake prone? Or you're not one of these people that believe they're actually pulling for a team, do you? I don't believe that. I just think they're bad officials. Because the Auburn fans would tell you that Alabama got all the calls Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And they're you know, still telling both, people that, anybody that'll listen. When both teams are yelling it, they at least got the equal amount wrong for both teams, which I think was the case. Well, I, I would not disagree with you there, sir, but it's still a bad crew. It's the Greg Autry crew. Well, it, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that head coaches can no longer strike crews. As I guarantee you, if what happened to Alabama... Uh, in Knoxville last year happened under Paul Bryant, Greg Autry would never call another Bama game his entire life or or the life of Coach Bryant's uh, career here. But you can't do that these days. Things have changed, and we're stuck. And whenever Alabama gets that crew, fans cringe, and rightly so. What is it about Auburn, Jordan-Hare Stadium? I mean... You know, our partner, Mark McGriff, says, and you just mentioned the word, says it's voodoo, it's buried on some, you know, it's on top of some burial ground or something like that. It I, seems to only work in big games like, like Georgia or Alabama, though, Matt. Yeah. Uh, the, prayer, the prayer in Jordan-Hare was against Georgia. Uh, the, the scare in Jordan-Hare for Georgia this year with, that Brock Bowers led the fourth quarter comeback, that, that game should have never been that close. That was the day that Carson Beck came of age, by the way that fourth quarter uh, in Jordan-Hare Stadium against Auburn. But then you have New Mexico State going in there and lining up and whipping their behinds for 60 minutes. So the voodoo is not eternal. It's just It just flexes its ugly head in, in certain big games. And they just play to their home crowd. They play their hearts out. Uh, you know, and, and Freeze, to his credit, and and it should be this way when you work two weeks on the same team. Cost you a win against New Mexico State, but that's another story. But he worked two weeks on Alabama. And, and for that reason, he was able to keep the game closer with a little bit of help from the officials. But, uh, you know, and we didn't even mention the, uh, the catch by Jermaine Burton that was a catch that was ruled not a catch. That was freaking ridiculous. But, but again, Auburn has some things to complain about as well. 
just a bad crew. And that is, the, but having a bad crew enters into the voodoo. There were times there that Gus Melzon did things where he literally outcoached Nick Saban at the end of ball games, uh, putting a punter in the offensive huddle, uh, putting a return man back on a missed field goal, things like that. But it's just, it doesn't happen every game. It's only for certain big games. It's not consistent voodoo. I would, uh, I would throw an LSU game in there or two. That's I, I would agree. Re- yeah, that, but I would count remember. that as a big game. Yeah, oh, huge. Yeah, I, I would agree too. But a name conference opponent. That year when uh, Jamie Howard kept throwing the football and throwing the football and throwing the football, just saying, "Okay, here, return this one. Here, return that one." Man, there was something in the water in the LSU locker. Well, LSU could have handed off and won that game. Yes, they, they chose did. not to. Yep, they chose not to. All right. Uh, first hour is in the books. We'll begin the second half here in just a moment uh, with the broadcaster at Mick. That's Mick Gillespie. will join us on the other side of the break, and uh, we'll talk Alabama, Georgia, Georgia, and playoff potential on Big Noon Sports. TBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a Town Square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles. Here's Nick Cope. Well, there's been much debate about whether Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers could make an improbable return from his week one Achilles injury and play this season. Rodgers has mentioned mid-December as a target date to get back on the field. And now the first domino needed to fall to that end has just occurred with the Jets opening the 21-day practice window for Rodgers. He now has three weeks to be activated. Otherwise, he would be ineligible to play this season. 15-year receiver and longtime Eagle Deshaun Jackson announced his retirement today. He'll ceremoniously retire as an Eagle on Friday and then be Philly's honorary captain for Sunday's game against the 49ers. Broncos safety Kareem Jackson is meeting with Commissioner Roger Goodell today to seek clarity on player safety rules that have led to him being suspended for six games this year. At NFL Media Reports, Texans left guard Titus Howard is out for the season. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Big Noon Sports. Lars is all. Kerry Clark filling in admirably. And also joining us is Mick Gillespie. Hey, Mick, we appreciate it. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Family and friends, all good? Yeah, man. We uh, we spent it with the, the Baron Huber and his family, the Huber family at the Floribama ball place. Oh, great. wow. Good. Good. That's traditional. How was that food? Tear. It was a- uh, it was covered dish. There were probably like eight hundred dishes in there, and then the four Bama people made the, the you know the turkey. It was great. Nice. All right. Hey, it's Thanksgiving. Spend it with family and friends. Floribama or at your own home. That's cool. All right. I'm asking everybody we talked to this week where you were, what you did on fourth and thirty one. So Mick, you've got the ball. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, Bama tailgates my YouTube channel. I do a post-game show right after the game. I was on there um, ready to uh, basically eat crow because I thought Bama was going to take care of business. And uh, in my home studio, i see what happens. And um, I still can't believe it, honestly. 
Did you jump up? Did you yell? Did you oh, I just sit there and, and No, no, I cussed and screamed, and I just kept yelling, you know. I can't believe that, but I added some, you know, some colorful language in there. And then, um, you know, being the partner that I am, Chad Anderson, who does the show with me, uh, I didn't tell him that I started the feed, and he was a little bit behind me. So uh, he's... <laughs> He's on camera screaming. <laughs> we we caught it live, so that was pretty funny. Hey, Mick, this is Kerry. I want to read you a tweet that and you may have seen it that just now came out from whoever handles social media for CBS Sports, and it says, and I'm going to read this word to word: The Crimson Tide need to win and move up four spots in the rankings. Beating Georgia would take care of three spots. Alabama would go past the Bulldogs, the Pac-12 loser, and Ohio State. A loss then by Texas, Florida State, or Michigan will be required to get the tide to the top four. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, you know, honestly, I just put a video out talking about this, and I'll reiterate it. Um, I feel like the committee has set Alabama up not to make it. You know, they they've they've played – They've, they've beaten more, you know, playoff teams than anybody else that's up there in that mix. They, you know, they've taken care of their business. Um, they've beaten more ranked teams. You know, any, anything that you could ask for, they've done. And this committee, week after week, has seen an opportunity to push them back far enough where you're right. Like, even a one over Georgia, it's going to take a lot of politicking to get them in there. You know, the issue is just like last year, they're one of the four best teams today. You know, not even before this game against Georgia. If they were wearing an Oregon uniform or Washington or Florida State, it'd be a different story. But, you know, Bama fatigue's real. And we're going to need chaos to make sure that we get in. So I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I just think that the conference needs to get in there and do something about it. it it's a joke to have Oregon ranked so high. You know, like they haven't they, – what's their best win? Against Utah? Who's Utah business? I mean, come on. You know, and so when I saw that and the fact that Ohio State has a 0% chance of making it, they're not making it. And for the committee to put them ahead of Texas and Alabama is complete crap to me. Well, now you they can't wonder, make it, though. Well – not realistically. They're not going to make it. No, I mean, look, they, the Ohio State has a 0% chance. You gotta be a, you're got to going to have to be a conference winner this year to get in. Correct. Um, unless everybody loses, you know, but they, they don't have a chance. And they, they put them up there, and now we're going to see the same thing with the Pac-12 because those teams are moving to the Big Ten. Where every year we got to pretend that these, these teams are good, they haven't won a championship since 2014. And then when did they win their last championship before that? You know, this has been the SEC Invitational. And the thing that really bothers me, two things. First off, they want you to go out and schedule real opponents. Georgia didn't do that. You know, Oregon didn't do that. Alabama did. Georgia lost Oklahoma, though. I, I, I feel compelled to mention that. But, but Yeah, but they didn't play anybody this year. It looks like Ball State. You know, Alabama's playing Texas. And they lost the game, and they've won every game since. They also lost the two of the top three players in the country uh, last year to the NFL. And they've come back, and they've, they've replaced those guys. But it takes, it takes time. But the talent is in the SEC, and it's in Tuscaloosa. 
And if they beat Georgia, then uh, they better get in. That's all I'm saying. You know, guys, this is open for discussion and it may be wild. This will never happen. But what if Vegas took all of these games, Alabama versus so-and-so, Alabama versus Oregon, Alabama versus Michigan, and they looked at the line that Vegas would establish for betting, would Alabama be, and then they did that to all the other teams too, Vegas decides the four, who would it be? I mean, Alabama would be one of the top four teams. Huh? I mean, how many teams are they going to be uh, underdog to? Georgia? And then when they beat Georgia on Saturday, then what? Then who are they going to be underdog to? Michigan? I mean, come on. Look how bad that, that that conference is such a joke. I mean, look at Iowa playing in that championship game. The, the over-under on them scoring in each half is like half a point. Can you imagine a team that's that bad being in an SEC championship game ever? Who, who, let me ask you guys this. You've been around it as long as I have. Who is the worst team that out that the SEC's ever had in their championship game? Missouri. And how do they compare? And how do they compare to they that you're right. And they would have beat Iowa probably by three touchdowns. I don't disagree with that. Let me ask you another question, Mick, another tweet. I just saw this is from a local guy here. If Bama does get screwed, and if Texas finishes like fifth, how cool would it be for a Bama-Texas rematch in the Cotton Bowl? Well, I don't I want to talk you, about like, it or think about it. Yeah. But if, if, you, <laughs> if there is a double screwing, then it would be a almost a sense of relief to see Bama get another shot at Texas. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that if Alabama gets screwed over by the, the, the college football playoff committee, which they're setting up for. Uh, it's going to be hard for Coach Saban to get these guys to, to stick around. and he, he did a good job of that last year. Incredible. But it was Bryce Young, too, you know, willing to play. You know, eventually th- that's not going to happen. Um, so hopefully that's not a scenario. But if it is, the Sunday we're talking about, the, you know, the Sugar Bowl, against Texas, that'd be a lot better than playing Tulane. Yeah, i tell you who's really lobbying hard for Alabama is uh, the Peach Bowl right now. <laughs> who, who would be in there? Who, 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 did they well, the have, late, like, the latest one I saw was Tulane, which would be, uh, it wouldn't matter who left for Alabama if that's the opponent. Yeah, and they're, and it's their Super Bowl, and everybody on our teams would be like they were when we played 2008 against uh, Utah. I was there. You know? So was I. Yeah, the uh, highlight of the trip was in the Commander's Palace. (laughs) Baron, who we spent Thanksgiving with, remember he had that big kickoff return, rumble in the bayou. He calls it. Yep. You know, I saw a tweet that uh, suggested they ought to rematch Auburn and New Mexico State in a bowl game. That'd be pretty funny, really. (laughs) Yeah, but I, what I really wanted, and I don't think it's going to happen, is that now bowl eligible Jacksonville State would come to Birmingham and play Auburn. Boy, that'd, that'd be, be great. That. Yeah, that would be yeah. fun too. That'd be I really fun. It, it would be. Um, we need to talk about Alabama, Georgia, because Mick, as we talk about playoff possibilities, nothing happens if Alabama doesn't win. Uh, a lot can happen if they do. But before we go to break, I just want to get a quick comment from you, Bobby Petrino to Arkansas. Mick Gillespie's thoughts. Yeah. Well, I mean. 
you know, they talk about full circle, right? Not quite full circle, but um, I don't know. I, I'm i pretty forgiving, and uh, how embarrassing that was for him. You know, for that guy to uh, want to go back there tells you something about him. People aren't perfect, you know, and <laughs> certainly he's not. But uh, think of all of our mistakes were as public as his was, you know. Truth, so, truth. I, I just kind of felt like as I got all the texts yesterday of him and the you know, the, the neck brace that looked like he was uh, part of a wrestling pay-per-view. Ooh. I thought, well, you know, uh, he's going to get an opportunity, it looks like, to uh, to fix a wrong. And um, as long as they don't beat Alabama, hey, more power to him. Mick, can you hang for another segment? I want to talk Alabama, sure. Georgia. All right. Mick Gillespie yeah. is our guest. Uh, tell everybody where they can listen, find, and read you. Mick? Yeah. Mick, where Talk can you people guys, listen and find you? No, no, oh, no, no. sorry. I lost you there for a second. Uh, Bama Tailgate on YouTube, and I do the show with Jake Coker on Roll Tide Pods, Elephant in the Room twice a week. And you'll hang on for a break? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Back in a minute on Big Noon Sports. is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker who's as roll tied as houndstooth will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at the Bama broker.com. That's Laura Lee at the Bama broker.com. I 100 Point nine Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high today, 57. Mostly fair tonight, the low 32. Tomorrow, partly sunny during the day. Rain moving in tomorrow night, the high 61. Friday, cloudy with occasional rain, the high 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 58 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Lars has the day off. It's Matt and Kerry Clark, and our guest is Mick Gillespie. Mick, let's break down Alabama and Georgia. I get the distinct feeling that you're leaning on picking the Alabama Crimson Tide. I find it interesting that the, the line opened around four, and now it's up to six. But uh, lines are lines, and they're designed for the betting they're not designed for the fans. It's designed to get everybody to bet one way or the other. So that being said, where does Alabama have a distinct advantage in this football game? Well, crazy enough. I mean, who would have thought at the beginning of the season that we would have a distinct advantage at quarterback? But Jalen Milrow is kind of, you know, through the uh, learning process, and he's not perfect, but he's shown us that he's explosive, that he's a game changer, that he's a leader and that he's ready for this opportunity. I think that's, that's the first one. And, and, it's the, and it's his ability to run 
that's going to hurt Georgia. I mean, that was Kirby's Achilles. He and a lot of teams, honestly, have a tough time stopping the mobile quarterback. Well, he's like Derrick Henry at that quarterback. So once he get, gets outside of the pocket, you know, he's, he can run over you or he can run around you or he can run you know, past you. It doesn't matter. You know, so that I think that's an advantage that Alabama has. And I think Alabama's secondary is better. And, and when they put pressure on the quarterback, uh, I think that's going to help. And then the other thing to me that's a distinct advantage is that Georgia hasn't played a tough game. Their schedule worked out where they really didn't have, you know, they didn't really have a lot of nail biters. Um, the last time they played a game where they could have gotten beaten was Ohio State last year. And the last team to beat them is Alabama. I think when you have a long winning streak like this, it starts to weigh on you. You're due to lose. And I think that their streak ends on Saturday. Well, you know, they could have lost to Georgia this year. Uh, they had to come back in the fourth quarter. And, and I'm only Auburn. bringing that up. Yes, I'm, yeah, Georgia could have lost to Auburn. Right. And, and and the person that led that comeback, Brock Bowers, I think will play Saturday. I just think he'll play. And so Alabama's got to figure out a way to defense him. And the name that keeps popping in my head, and, and Mick, you can certainly disagree with this, but I'm wondering what Caleb Downs can do guarding him. Yeah, you're not the first person to mention that to me. Uh, Bowers is, look, he's the best tight end I've seen in college. Better than Pitts. Uh, and I'm trying to think, like, who, who else would you even put on that? I, I've never seen a, uh, a college tight end play like Travis Kelsey, but that's what he does. Um, so he'd have a size and a weight advantage over Downs, but Downs is he's a lockdown defender. Um, and maybe the fact that also, you know, I don't think Bowers is 100% healthy. You know, that, that could be uh, a way to defense him. You know, nobody's really figured it out, but what's crazy and I gotta give uh I gotta give this to Jake Coker because he said it and I at first I was like, Ah no, they're gonna do he said to me on a podcast yesterday, he's like, Well, you know, you gotta figure that Georgia's gonna look at what Auburn did to figure out how to stop Alabama. And I'm like, Nah, they're gonna do what they do but then I started thinking about it, I'm like, Both teams are looking at those games because they did such a good job of game planning, both of those. And I'm sure both teams are are looking and going, you know what? What did what did Auburn do that worked against Georgia? What did Georgia, you know, what did Auburn do that worked against Alabama? So, you know, that that could be a, a way to try to slow them down. Um, you got to worry about uh, McConkie, who, you know, those guys didn't really play many games together because one got hurt and then the other got hurt. But, um, yeah, that I, I don't know enough about drawing up and scheming defenses to know. I think it comes down to this, though. It comes down to Alabama's ability to pressure the quarterback, which is something that when they've played their best football this year, they've done, and then force throws where they can make plays in the secondary. I worry about if you put uh, kind of Caleb Downs on Bowers and, and kind of leave that in a game into itself. I I worry about what that does to the rest of the defense because Caleb Downs, what a remarkable freshman. What a remarkable player. He's so integral to Alabama's defense when not matching up one-on-one as far as 
run support for one thing. So that, yeah, that's just a great. statement about that. Yeah. I don't recall a freshman in the secondary for Alabama. Um, yeah, maybe Marlon Humphreys, Minka. but you know, he, Minka. He, Minka. Yeah, it'd be Minka. Uh, yeah. yeah, Minka. Uh, especially, the with the, especially with the IQ because the guys just hey. play the game so smart. Remember Minka was making all those plays? <laughs> like, who is this guy? You know, and I want to say it was Arkansas where he, he made the play that, you know, would, would, might have lost to those guys if he had made a big play. You know, he's the last one that I can remember. And that's a pretty high phrase right there. Well, coming out of yeah. high school, that was the comparison. They, they were saying this guy's the, the next Minka. So pretty strong praise, and the kids lived up to it. Hey, Mick, is uh, this is not the front seven defensively for Georgia that we've seen in the past, is it? No, I mean, look, this isn't the we're going to lose our entire defense to the NFL like they had last time we played them, but they're good. You know, they're, they're, they're just not as highly rated, but they get after the quarterback. I mean, Bama's offensive line is going to have to block, and they're going to be in the backfield. They're going to make their plays. Uh, it's a Kirby defense. I mean, you know, what we, yeah, the toughest thing for Pete Golding is that he had to replace Kirby, you know, and he just, he, just tar, hot, tough to do. You know, Kevin Steele's done a great job. But it's, it's, there's only a few guys that are that on that level, you know. And so the Georgia's a blueprint of what Alabama was. And it's getting back to it again, by the way. Um, you know, so it, they don't necessarily have to have seven NFL guys up front and in the linebacker slot to be successful. They're just good players. Mick, Matt knows that I'm a foodie, so I can't resist asking this question. What was the best Thanksgiving side dish at Florabama? <laughs> uh, a know, bushwhacker. I, I, it's got to yeah. be a bush side dish. <laughs> I, know. Yeah. I know. We did have some bushwhackers. You know, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm going to tell you this right now. Um, I was very selective on what side dishes I picked. Just because, you know, I don't know who made them all, you know. So the best the best that I had was a, a corn casserole that I thought was just amazing. I would have like had to seek cake. out a green bean casserole myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, there was a whole, <laughs> there was There's like a, a whole table full of them. <laughs> like, however you like those. I would have had a bite of each. Yeah, you, you would have loved it. You know, Lars said he had never had a green bean casserole till he moved down here. Really? I thought. I, I bet, thought he, said, green I bean bet he said the corn casserole, though. Yeah, he made it because I went to his house for Thanksgiving. He made something they, called corn pudding. They all about yeah. some yeah. corn in Nebraska. They all about yeah. some corn. Yeah, it was pretty good. Maybe this was a corn pudding. I don't know, but it was it was really good. The the corn thing I had, but yeah, I, look, I love green bean casserole, sweet potato casseroles. Uh, one of my favorites, but honestly, dressing um, with cranberry sauce is like my number one, right next to my turkey. I can't eat it without cranberry, Mick. Some yeah, people I do, cannot. and I'm like, how do you do that? I can't eat it with no. it. That's a combo deal. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people like that. I'm just not a cranberry guy, but you know, Thanksgiving is for all palates, is it not? Indeed. Um, all right. Um, just going down and returning to what needs to happen. Can you just kind of look at it and tell me what the best-case scenario, if Alabama were to beat Georgia, what's the best-case scenario for uh, Alabama to make the playoffs? If, if you want to be comfortable going into Sunday 
have Florida State lose to Louisville. Or, or obviously, or Texas lose. Uh, I think any, one of those two happen, you're, you're in good shape. Which one's more likely? Well, I think Louisville, even though they lost to Kentucky last week, is going gonna, is gonna to have a good game against Florida State. I think just Florida State just looks like they're ready to lose. Um, and I don't know. You know, the other thing is, is officiating matters. You know, <laughs> I think we've seen that over the last few years. It depends on what kind of officiating that Big 12 championship game has. Because could Oklahoma State, eh, got a little help, maybe uh, maybe really give Texas a, a hard time in their last ever Big 12 game? Maybe. You know, so, I mean, these are all games that would take a pretty big upset to have happen. But I think those two, I, I would probably say if I was ranking it, Florida State one and then Texas two would probably be the – because I, I don't know about the other games. I mean, I just Iowa has zero chance of winning, zero, and um, that also shows you that the Big Ten's not any good. And then it doesn't matter who wins. Uh, well, I guess you'd rather have Oregon win, just to kind of muck things up with one-loss teams. But that'd be the first decent win they have all year. But it doesn't seem to matter to this committee. They they're in love with Oregon for some reason. Bonex. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> Yeah, but he's the marquee flash. He, you know, he's the Phil Knight love wannabe. I mean, he's and and by the way, he'll probably win the Heisman, and I, I think I'd vote for him. He's you? got a great shot. Yep. Yeah, I like him. I mean, he he was on. Uh, I used to listen to him on uh, another show. He was coming on with his NIL deal, and a lot of the NILs, you know, the kids come on and they don't really want to say anything. <laughs> and you know, us being like radio guys, I mean, we want to hear. Not just that you come on, but say something. Give me something. Hey, he'd come on every week and bring it. His last year at Auburn. And uh, I honestly appreciated that. And I, that made me a fan of his. So, uh, you know, I'd love to see him win the Heisman. Very well could well, happen. Um, I think it's going to, unless he just absolutely has a right. Well, I, I think Phoenix is the guy to beat. But Bo yeah. is right there with him. So whoever wins that game might win the Heisman. That is exactly how I think it's going to shake out, Matt. Yeah, I think so, too. Hey, Mick, we'll let you get back to the floor of Bama or parts thereabouts. Um, thanks for your time. We appreciate it very much. Hey, we'll talk to you guys next time, and hopefully uh, everything works out for Bama this weekend. I'm biased. Roll Tide. Yeah, I think we all are. Um, <laughs> but I, I also think that uh, we think with some logic. All right, Mick, thanks a lot. Kerry Clark is in for Lars Anderson, and we'll be back and address a couple of other issues. There's still some uh, food left on our plate here for lunch. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Alabama, Georgia. 10, 5, touchdown, Alabama. It's the SEC Championship live from Atlanta, Georgia. Let's get out of here again. Cheer on the Tide this Saturday as the Crimson Tide look to get revenge on the Bulldogs. Our coverage starts at noon from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. On your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner, too. Hi. 
securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Gary Clark has joined us on Big Noon Sports. Lars has the day off. Uh, this just came down about an hour ago, Gary, of great interest. Great interest. The Alabama Sports Hall of Fame announced its newest class just about an hour ago. Let's hear it. David Palmer. David Palmer. Well deserved. Mike Anderson. Mike Anderson. Larry Chapman and John Drew from basketball. Um, Robert Mathis and Mike Washington from football. Penny Hoschild Buxton uh, from gymnastics. Boy, I remember her. I that do, was too. Right I was her I PA announcer, Matt. You were? Yeah. Her personal PA announcer? No, the whole team. <laughs> Pre-Tony oh, well, Giles. Um, you know, t- t- Tony's made, uh, made himself a legend at that role. Um, and Scott Sullivan from baseball. So... There they are, uh, and I'm not sure on how they're voted in and at what time and the time period, but it seems like Palmer would have been a no-brainer from the minute of his eligibility, and maybe that's the case now. I, I don't know, but this is a good conversation. I don't remember a player, and I'm going to throw Bo in there and Herschel that absolutely electrified a crowd when he was on the field especially when he was back in punt formation or he lined up in a wildcat. Um, David Palmer could stop, cut on a dime, and give you nine cents change. He was just that kind of special player and certainly a Hall of Famer. Do you have thoughts on him? I do. Uh, He's one of the favorite players that I've had in Alabama football history to watch. Uh, You're certainly correct about when he was back on punts. And people were accused of sitting on their hands. They didn't sit on their hands when David Palmer went by to catch a punt. They stood in unison because they knew that anything could happen. He could be going to the house any given punt return. And uh, I once had an Auburn fan bet me, Matt, that he was going to lose his eligibility over some, some kind of grade scandal or something. Uh, I think it was actually to do with someone allegedly taking his SAT form. And this guy was just convinced that Auburn had all this proof and they were going to turn it in. And David Palmer would never play another down for Alabama. Well, that guy is $50 poorer for running his mouth. (laughs) You know, um, this was back in the day when he was at Jackson Olin. He was a Mustang. And he was playing at... Fair Park. You remember the old field over there by the race track? Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. 
I can get this in order. Cut on a dime and give you five cents change. Yeah. He, he, uh, he received the opening kickoff and darn near returned it. Then he lined up at quarterback and completed a pass. Then he lined it up in the slot and caught a pass. And then they scored and he kicked the extra point. Then they turn around and kick off and he kicks off. And then he makes the tackle. Um, he could play anywhere, anytime at the high school level. Now, obviously, he wasn't a kicker at Alabama. But the other one of the other memories I have is um, Alabama and Miami. Were you there at the Sugar Bowl? Yes. Um, Alabama, I think Miami got the ball to start, and Alabama just had them confused from the get-go, and it was three and out. That's right. And Palmer called a... Uh, he caught a punt around Alabama's 35, and he didn't go all the way, but he returned it pretty deep in Miami territory. And Alabama ended up getting a field goal out of it, and it was game on. The tone was I set. It. Yeah. You, you know the two plays that I remember the most from him at Alabama, Matt? They both occurred on the same end of Legion Field. I know what you're talking about. And one of them was in 1991, and one of them was in 1993. The first one was against Auburn. The second one was against Tennessee. In both instances, the opposing defense knew he was lined up at quarterback and was going to run the ball. And in both instances, they couldn't stop it. One of them helped produce an Alabama win in the Iron Bowl. One of them helped produce the closest thing I've ever seen to a tie being a win for Alabama when they came back to tie Tennessee. They drove down inside the 10. Barker was removed. They put in Palmer. Tie game. Yeah. After, after Alabama scored. Was... Incredible to watch okay. those two plays. And then who can forget the 93 Ole Miss game in Oxford when David literally did everything. Played quarterback, played wide receiver, ran back kicks, ran back punts. And he, he, he Brian Bergdorf got hurt in that game. Jay was already hurt. And David had to finish the game at quarterback, and he led a victory in Oxford against a fairly decent Ole Miss team. It was just, it was, and you can see all this on YouTube. Yeah, there, there's, there's David Palmer highlight types galore on YouTube. And I would encourage any Alabama fan or just college football fan that haven't seen those to go back and watch them. He was only about a 4.6 in the 40, about a 4.60. But like I said, he could cut on a dime and give you change, and he had what they call football speed. And that's the reason he lasted six years in the NFL with the Vikings. It was primarily as a punt returner and kickoff returner, uh, some wide receiver, but mainly a returner. But it was that ability to cut on a dime and give you five cents change that made David Palmer the player that he was, Matt. He sure was fun. And you watch. mentioned John Drew. Let me just throw in this little fun fact. I used to lay in my bed, Matt, in Montgomery, Alabama, growing up as a child and listened to Skip Carey call Atlanta Hawks games with an 18- and 19-year-old John Drew, who was one of the first players ever. He was one of the first four or five guys ever to bypass college and play in the NBA. And I didn't even know you could do that until the Hawks got John Drew. And uh, that, that name brings back a lot of good memories as well. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, I remember him because, man, he could he could throw it in a swinging thimble. Um, terrific player to watch. And, you know, Mike Anderson, I traveled. I, I did every single one of his games at UAB. Um, 
heck of a coach. You know, people don't really remember back to his days of playing high school. I can't remember if he played. He may have. I think he may have played at Inslee. I don't know. But he was a good player, not that good. Ended up at junior college. And guess who selected him in junior college? Um, uh, was it heck, Nolan Richardson? Oh, getting old. It was Nolan Richardson. It was indeed. And he loved Mike Anderson for his toughness and his ability to play defense. Well, he employed him for a number of years, too. He employed him as a number yeah, of years, too. Sure did. Yeah. Hired him at Tulsa and then moved with him to Arkansas. Right. So um, Mike had I a great career. Respect. I don't even know what he's doing now. He's waiting on like money from St. John's. There was uh, talk at one time, Matt. It never, never materialized. But there was talk at one time, 10, 12 years ago, that he might be a candidate for the Alabama job. But it, it never came through. Um, there was talk that he might go to Auburn, too, at one time. Yes, there was. When, uh, That's correct. His last year at UAB. But, uh, you know, he went on to Missouri and Arkansas. And um, I, I have the utmost respect for him um, as a player and a person. So uh, I'm happy for him, and I'll tell when we get off the show and tell him that. So, all right, here's an interesting story. I'm just kind of perusing the internet here. Deontay Wilder and Alabama's Dallas Turner are set to be investors in the United States sailing team. <laughs> you want to read that again? Go I think ahead, that's man. pretty cool. I didn't even know we had a sailing team. Yeah, I understand that I know, Dallas I, I is actually... I remember the days of Ted Turner. I, I think Dallas yeah, is actually using his NIL money to make that investment. It's what I read. I would think, yep. Uh, that's pretty interesting. That's so, a story that uh, Noah Haynes is dying team. to write right there. About, well, uh, about Dallas Turner investing in the U.S. sailing team. Oh, definitely. It needs to be on Tide 109 point. Dot com. But anyway, uh, I expect it by the end of the day. Yeah, you'll probably get it. He rarely disappoints. But uh, yeah, that is a very interesting story. Uh, and Deontay Wilder, by the way, Matt, is, is finally going to have another boxing match. Uh, he's going to take on uh, Anthony Joshua uh, over in uh, Saudi Arabia, I guess it is, next month. But uh, yeah, he's going to the Middle East to box. So uh, Deontay's getting back in the ring again. And uh, We'll have to wait and see if he can get another title shot. But word is, if he wins this one, he may be in line for another title shot. I hope so. I've uh, been around him a couple of times. And, and first of all, great guy. Uh, I guess the ring, the, the ring doesn't do his size justice. He is absolutely huge. What is he, six seven? Oh, yeah. Listen, Matt. He is a very large man. Before he became a boxer? He used to play in Para Park and Recreation Authority for Tuscaloosa Rec League basketball. I remember him well. He yep. was recruited by the TPD, the Tuscaloosa Police Department, to play with them. That was a smart recruit because he was a very good player at uh, at Central High School here. I tried to guard him at six four and being <laughs> as unathletic as I am, and him being legit six seven. Uh, Ninety seconds and three fouls later, we went back to zone. You know, didn't, uh, didn't, help, didn't end well for me. It's, man, I wouldn't take a charge from that guy if he paid me. Uh, wow. Imagine trying to block his shot, and he's, you know, you're basically looking at his belly button. Yep. Well, hey, 
hats off to you for trying. I did try. Some but, people would probably go, hey, like wait I a said, minute. Oh, my knee. Oh, my knee. Three fouls, 90 seconds. Yeah, go back to zone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure will. Gary Clark is with us on Big Noon Sports. We'll wrap things up in just a minute. Next, Inside the Locker Room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson. Tune in Thursday. We will talk SEC championship game with J.C. Sherbert. Also in the second hour, Dad will pick his blue plate special. I know he's struggling where to go. Stay tuned. Inside the Locker Room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high today, 57. Mostly fair tonight, the low 32. Tomorrow, partly sunny during the day. Rain moving in tomorrow night, the high 61. Friday, cloudy with occasional rain, the high 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 59 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Kerry Clark sitting in for Lars Anderson. Lars will be back tomorrow. Um, got a couple really good guests for you tomorrow. If I can promote tomorrow's Big Noon Sports from noon until 2. Hamp McCorder, the uh, son of Boyd McCorder, the uh, longtime and just like and lovable commissioner of the SEC. A lot of people don't remember him because he was in office uh, 40, 45 years ago. But uh, he's a big, big Georgia fan, and he doesn't mind talking about it, so that'll be fun. And then Terry Henley has seen um, Georgia and Alabama both play in person, so I thought we'd get the um, Hall of Famer in uh, to participate in the show. Oh, Bama fans love to hear from Hee Haw Henley. Yeah. Um, because he it. knows how to he knows how to aggravate him. He also he's also funny. You know, he's a very very funny guy. Yeah, you don't believe me? Ask him. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, humility. Uh, I'm not sure a lot of it was lost on Terry Henley, but uh, the pride of Oxford, pride. Alabama. Yep. He's uh, him and Rick Burgess. That's true. Um, Two players wait. for the Oxford Yellow Jackets of the different eras. Jackets. I wonder if Terry played for Coach Burgess. I think Terry was before him. Okay, okay. Um, That would make sense. I don't think think by very much. Hey, you know, Matt, getting back to our brief discussion we had on Deontay Wilder, I I wanted to tell the story of of me getting the three quick fouls, but I neglected to mention to you, and you may already know this, but our listeners may not, our mutual friend, Matt, Chris Walsh from Bama Central and Mizzou Central, mm-hmm. when he was with the T-News, he was getting paid by the story. So he decided to get in the ring with the Alder, with Deontay Wilder, and uh, he ended up in the hospital. Well, Chris, and he, and he had on you know, he had on the head protection and all that, but Deontay still rocked him and he broke his jaw. He anyway. told him not to take it easy, and he didn't, and. Uh, I can assure you that that Christopher Walsh will never ever do that again. But uh, yeah, he. I thought I had it bad with the three quick fouls. No, Chris had it much worse than I did, Matt. Wow. Well, fun Chris facts is a you good learn when carry pinch hits. Yeah, that's good stuff to know. But um, but you wouldn't. I got to blame him. that. I got to blame that all on Chris Walsh. 
Yeah, but he got the story. It's a good st to spar with him. Yeah. He got the he had, story. He had to write it with his other hand, though. His broken arm, whatever. Always good know. when the wife has great insurance. Uh, no. <laughs> well, uh, actually, I'm not sure Chris has ever told me that story. Well, get him to one time. Next next time you have him on the air as a uh, guest, get him to tell you his Deontay Wilder. Because he can tell it way... I only heard it secondhand. But I remember reading it. I read every word he wrote about it. And then... When I worked for him for two or three years over at Bama Central, we discussed it again one, one year at a Christmas party. And he tells it really well. So, yeah. Remember that. Wow. I'm here to help. Yeah. The, those, those little words right there will get you into trouble. Uh, don't take it easy on me. Um, I've actually said that uh, before. Um, this is a quick story. Pretty interesting one. Dale Earnhardt Jr. was still racing. And he was... Uh, given rides around in one of the Monte Carlos that was off the lot. They, they rolled it straight out of one of the showroom floors. But it was one of the Monte Carlos that, uh, you know, had big eight-cylinder and all this kind of stuff on it. And he was taking fans around the track at Talladega for, for rides. Oh, and here we go. Pretty, it was pretty cool. And um, I talked to the track beforehand, and they said, yeah, you can go. In fact, just wait and go last. So you remember Big Dave McDaniel, one of my favorite people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, I miss him terribly all the time. But so he and I were uh, going to be the last pair, and he was giving the fans a thrill. You know, he'd go like 120 down into the bankings and stuff like that, and they all getting out just so happy and giddy. And so as we were taking off down uh, Pitt Road, um, Dave opened his big mouth and said, uh, you know, we're media members and work here at the track a lot. And said, uh, you don't really have to take it easy on us. Junior hit that pedal so hard, and that car had a lot of get up. And he took it straight up into turn one, which, by the way, if you've never gone up there, been on that track, when you go into turn one, it doesn't look like a turn and a curve. It looks like there's a concrete building in front of you. It is that steep and that imposing. But he took us straight up to the top between one and two and just scraped the rear view mirror sitting about 15 inches from me off the side of the car with such precision. He was in total control of the car and floored it around the entire track, rubbing the wall the whole time. And we got back, finally down to Pit Row. You know, we had been clutching our seats and our, the handles, the door handles. And we, we got back down there and I said, wait, open your mouth, Big Dave. So and this was Junior, Dale Jr.? This was Junior. Okay. And Junior uh, was laughing his butt off the whole time around. And then we, when we shakily got out of the car. Um, it was a whole lot of fun, but that's just one of those instances. You don't tell a professional athlete, driver, if you, however you want to use the, the, the definition of the word. but Or boxer. You just, you, no, you just don't say that. And I don't care how, if, if, if you're 6'4", Kerry Clark, and I'm not sure, I don't think you asked for it, but I'm pretty sure you didn't get out on the floor and say, bring it, Deontay. <laughs> No, but at the time I was trying to guard him. I had no idea he was going to end up being a heavyweight champion. He was just a very good and tall and athletic basketball player that I couldn't stop. It was only later on that I found oh. out of his boxing prowess. And he actually, 
I had a chance one night to introduce him to my nephew, uh, Jake Pratt, the Down Syndrome spokesman from Vestavia. And he was so kind to Jake. And uh, I just, I'm just a big Deontay fan. And, of course, his manager, uh, Jay Deese, is a, is a friend of mine as well. Tommy's brother. Well, and, and to just kind of put a perfect circle around this, first time I met him was after he was champ. And he was, I believe he, if he weren't, he was either grand marshal or he waved the green flag. But he was one of the dignitaries that I introduced in pre-race leading up to the Talladega race. And I was, uh, after we got the race underway, I was over at this compound called the White Flag Club. We go over there and eat, and then I go back and start doing all my business and stuff that I do over there. And, and I looked over there in the chow line, and there's a guy with this big leopard skin fur-looking coat on. And, of course, I had to look up. And he was just, you know, getting his food like everybody else, being humble, you know, not calling attention to oh, himself. He's a really nice guy. Really nice guy to, to power, you know, to have such a powerful punch. And he's one of the reasons that we call this place Titletown, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Well, I hope he gets it back. How old is he now, Kerry? He's mid-30s. Um, I, don't, I don't know the exact number, but mid-30s. Well, you wouldn't think boxing is a sport that you could have longevity in, but I, I guess... You stay in shape. Jo- Look at George Foreman, Foreman, man. Yeah. Didn't he win it at 50 or something? Did you see that movie? What, what a Foreman movie? Yeah, that came out last year. You should, no, you should see that. Really What's the name stuff. of it? Do you recall? Big George or something like that. And he's such a colorful guy. Oh, yeah. Wow. He'll uh, say you a grill, too. Hey, I had one. I loved it. Yep. They were nice. Are nice. Now I'm just uh, I'm waiting on my air fryer. Do you have one of those? <laughs> yeah, but it don't ever get used. But, yeah, it's it wow. looks good there in the pantry. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we travel down the same roads often, Carrie. Um, hey, thanks. I appreciate you filling in today. It was very fun. Thank you for asking. Hey, what's going on this weekend? Can you tell everybody what we'll be doing? We're going to be doing, well, Ryan's going to do his uh, 2 to 6 show from Atlanta Friday. And then uh, we'll have pre and post from there. Um, you actually will be at Walk-Ons with Audio Bob, but Mark McGriff and myself will be at a sports bar across the street from uh, Mercedes Stadium. It's called Hudson Grill, and we'll be on what they call clean feed on our phones. And we will be having a Bama postgame show, win or lose. Let's hope it's a celebration at Hudson Grill. Thank you, Carrie, and thank you to Noah Haynes. And you folks have a wonderful Wednesday. A psoriasis free.